Hello and welcome to the Forge Podcast. My name is James, and this is the place where I teach verse by verse through the Bible. I am a retired U.S. Air Force Master Sergeant who went on to serve the Lord's Church as an assistant pastor, worship leader, and youth pastor. During my time in these roles, I finished seminary, and I hold a Master of Arts in Biblical Studies and a Master of Divinity. I have been involved in ministry in some form for over 25 years, and it is my hope that this podcast will be a blessing to you as I teach from God's Word, the Bible. Forge exists to serve those whom the Holy Spirit is calling into a relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. This is done through biblical teaching so that individuals understand God's forgiveness, live in its reality, and overcome wounds caused by bondage to sin. I will always hold to the truth found in the scriptures, and a summary of my doctrinal statement is worded perfectly in the five solas of the Reformation. I believe Christians experience gratefulness and renewed purpose as they are encouraged by the words of life which spring from the Bible. I pray that this podcast plays a role in God's ongoing work in your life. Don't forget to look in the show notes for links to the podcast website where you can leave a donation or leave a voice message with questions. I will be collecting questions for a future Q&A podcast. Also, please leave a review on whatever platform you are using. That and telling others about this podcast are the two biggest things you can do for me. Now, grab your Bible and get ready for a verse-by-verse study. May God bless the hearing and reading of His Word. Hello and welcome back to The Forge, where we are continuing our study of Genesis. This is our second podcast in the book of Genesis. We are going to pick it up in verse 9. The first episode, we only covered the first eight verses, which happened to include the first two days of creation. And now we are moving forward, uh, beginning with verse 9 in Genesis chapter 1. We're going to read the whole chapter, uh, starting at verse 9. We're going to take it through the end. We're going to take it verse by verse. And then we're going to go back through and make a few comments on uh, each day of creation. So let's begin Genesis chapter 1, verse 9. Then God said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together in one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. 
And God called the dry land earth, and the gathering together of the waters he called seas, and God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let the earth bring forth grass, the herb that yields seed, and the fruit tree that yields fruit according to its kind, whose seed is in itself on the earth. And it was so. And the earth brought forth grass, the herb that yields seed according to its kind, and the tree that yields fruit, whose seed is in itself according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. So the evening and the morning were the third day. Then God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night, and let them be for signs and seasons and for days and for years, and let them be for lights in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. Then God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. God set them in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth and to rule over the day and over the night and to divide the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. So the evening and the morning were the fourth day. Then God said, let the waters abound with an abundance of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the face of the firmament of the heavens. So God created great sea creatures and every living thing that moves, which was um, with which the waters abounded according to their kind and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth. So the evening and the morning were the fifth day. Then God said, Let the earth bring forth the living creature according to its kind, cattle and creeping things and beasts of the earth, each according to its kind. And it was so. And God made the beast of the earth according to its kind, cattle according to its kind, and everything that creeps on the earth according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, See, I have given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of all the earth, and every tree whose fruit yields seed, to you it shall be for food. Also to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the air, and to everything that creeps on the earth, in which there is life, I have given every green herb for food. And it was so. Then God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was all very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Before we go back in and take this one day at a time, so to speak, I want to draw your attention to verse 26, and we'll probably go ahead and talk about verse 26 through 28. 
there's a phrase here that catches people uh, sometimes a little off guard, especially if they've never read this before, if they never have contemplated these things before. It says, let, uh, it says, then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Well, what's going on here? We have God, but then who's he talking to? It says, let us make man in our image and our likeness. What's going on here? We were singular and now we're switching to plural. Um, what is this? Who Who's God talking to? Is there more than one God? Um, what's happening here? Well, it's interesting. If you go back to the very first verse of the Bible, the very first verse of Genesis, the verse is, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The word for God there in Hebrew is Elohim, which is a plural form. Now, don't go crazy with this. I am not saying that in the beginning, God's plural created the heavens and the earth. There is only one God. But here we get into Trinitarian doctrine right from the very beginning of the Bible. What we see here is a conversation, literally, I believe, between the three persons of the Trinity. When it says, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Trinitarians believe, and the Bible teaches over time and over space, if you read the entire Bible, what you are going to see is one being, God, in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Even in this first chapter of the Bible, we have the creative acts of God, but then it tells us that his spirit was moving over the face of the deep. So right here in the very first chapter, at a minimum, we have the Father and we have the Holy Spirit. As we study the New Testament, we're going to find that Jesus was the creator, that everything that was made was made through Christ. Well, what what is happening here? Well, Jesus is God in the flesh. As John tells us that the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and our eyes saw him, and that which we have seen and we have heard and we have touched. In other words, what John is saying, that which we have experienced we saw God manifested in the Son. So you have the eternal Son who took on human flesh. So when we read these kinds of passages, let us make man in our image according to our likeness, don't be confused. Don't get derailed by this. You see, the Father is not the Son, and He is not the Spirit. Yet the Father is God. The Son is not the Father, and He is not the Spirit, yet the Son is God. And the Spirit, likewise, is not the Father, and He's not the Son, but He is the Holy Spirit, and He is God. Three beings, one God. I bring this up because there is a heresy that is actually in the church today, or what is, in my view, masquerading as a church, and it's called modalism. 
and this idea that God exists in modes. And um, the short uh, summary of modalism is they deny the Trinity. In particular, there is a Pentecostal uh, sect, um, the United Pentecostals. Um, they deny the Trinity. And friends, I'm just going to tell you, and it may be offensive, but you cannot deny the Trinity and call yourself a Christian. At least, at the very least, you don't believe in the same God that I believe in because I believe in one being in three persons. The modalist does not believe that. And so uh, why do you think I'm bringing this up? Why is this such a big deal? Well, because it's a heresy. And within what calls itself evan evangelical Christianity today, we have, or certain folks have, accepted modalists into their midst and welcomed them as brothers and sisters. I will give you an example. There's a vocal group that has done contemporary Christian music, supposedly Christian music, Phillips, Craig, and Dean. Phillips, Craig, and Dean are modalists. They deny the Trinity. And because evangelism or evangelicalism has become what it has become, there seems to be no standard among certain uh, forms of contemporary Christian music. And they welcome these guys as brothers. Uh, they are not your brother. They would say that you worship a three-headed God or that you worship three gods if you're a Trinitarian. Another modalist who has gained some notoriety, uh, T.D. Jakes, who at one point was a guest on Oprah and had his own TV show. Uh, again, a modalist denying the Trinity. I bring these things up because I want you to be equipped. Dear Christian, I want you to have an answer. We need to have an answer for the hope that is within us. And as a Christian, you need to know how to handle these kinds of passages of scripture. And here in verse 26, getting back to Genesis 1, 26 through 28, it says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, watch this, male and female, he created them. Now, we're going to see this developed in uh, the other chapters as we move forward in Genesis, but you have a summary here, um, kind of like I said some things in the very first eight verses of Genesis, um, and I made reference to events that haven't happened yet in our study. I made references to the flood of Noah, and I made references to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and uh, Shem and Seth and Lamech, and we haven't read that yet. Well, that's kind of what you see happening here. God created them male and female. We haven't gotten that far yet. We haven't gotten into the story of Genesis yet where uh, uh, God presents Eve to Adam. And so what you have here in this sentence, don't be confused. It's simply just a summary. But it's important. Male and female, he created them. He didn't create them male and female, and non-binary, and transitioning, and you can make up your mind on whatever you want to be. You want to be a girl today, that's fine. You want to be a boy tomorrow, that's fine. You want to be whatever you want to be. 
that's fine. There was no confusion when God created the genders. He created male. He created female. And God meant for them to be complementary to each other. And we will uh, unpack that when we get further into the creation story. I just wanted to point those things out. It is amazing how simple it can be here in the very beginning and how complicated and um, diluted and just delusional, if you will, and just insane mankind can make things whenever mankind denies the truth of God's word. Mankind denies that he was made in the image of God. He denies male and female distinctions. And what is the end result of that? Chaos, death, confusion, and utter insanity. I've heard uh, one, uh, one of the teachers that I love to listen to, his name is Dr. James White on the dividing line. Uh, if you would like to go over there and subscribe to his podcast, uh, Alpha and Omega Ministries, um, I've never met Dr. James White, um, and he will probably never know this side of heaven, the impact that his ministry has had upon me personally. I'm grateful for such a servant of our Lord, and I don't want to lift up James White and praise him. I look at James White as someone that the Lord has simply been very gracious to, merciful to, gifted this man, and used him in a mighty way. And I rejoice at what God has done. I don't rejoice in James White. I rejoice in what our God has done because he's been so good and so gracious. And he has given us teachers. James White says, you can have Christ or you can have chaos. Those are your choices, folks. You can have Christ or you can have chaos. To the extent that we accept the truth of God's word on such matters as human origins and human sexuality will be the extent that we enjoy stability in our culture. As I see my fellow humans as image bearers of the Most High and Living God, I begin to love and care for them. If, on the other hand, I see my fellow humans as nothing more than a series of unguided chemical accidents, then there is absolutely nothing wrong with hating my fellow man. Indeed, the strongest will survive, right? Um, is that not what the survival of the fittest is all about? So to the extent that I embrace an evolutionary point of view is the extent I make room for hatred, racism, and I'm talking about true racism here, lust, uh, power, total self-preservation at all costs. On the other hand, if I see my fellow man as an image bearer of God, I am more inclined to love, look past those differences, care for others, and place others higher than myself. The truth of God is the only reason to even offer a standard of what's right and what's wrong. In the evolutionary worldview, concepts of what is right and what is wrong, it's all really just merely a matter of opinion. 
But see, as Christians, we appeal to an outside source for our direction on sexuality, for our direction on love, power, um, selfishness, all the rest. And that outside source is the living God who did create male and female, who did create human beings in his image and in his likeness. So I'm going to turn our focus back to the earlier part there of Genesis. And the word I want to focus on is the word kind. Notice how the word kind is being used. Plants produce after their own kind. In fact, all the creatures of the sea and all the creatures of the air reproduce after their own kind. And I alluded to this in the first episode of Genesis where we only covered those first eight verses. But the idea here, again, and I'll just reemphasize it, is we don't start off with something and end up with something else. So in other words, a pine tree will always bring forth another pine tree. Um, A cow will always give birth to cows, um, cattle. You know, in fact, I would say we depend on this observable fact. The entire farming industry is dependent upon that. What a mess it would be if my cattle started producing something that's not cattle. It's not something new, but it's a transitional form between a cow and whatever it's going to be after the transitional form gets finished. But these kinds, as the Bible calls them, will never produce another kind. And that's my point here. Are there variations? Sure, there's variations. Uh, No one denies that. There's variations of cows. There's variations of pine trees. Just go Christmas tree shopping sometime and you'll see all the different kinds of pine trees, but they're still pine trees. So um, the Bible uses the word kind in, in that manner. I want you to consider God's creative genius. I marvel at how something as simple as seeds, the seeds that produce after their own kind. And, and, and God even says here that uh, these plant, this plant life had the seeds within it. How these seeds are transported uh, across the environment. How are they transported? Well, they are transported in animal fur and animal hair. Not to be gross or graphic, but they're transferred inside the animals. Um, we have probably seen those seeds, which um, you could say they ride on the wind with their fuzzy little parachutes. And I'm sure that we've probably all had the experience where we go out for a walk or something like that. And we come home and we have things in our shoelaces and we have things on our pants leg. And maybe even if we were in our shorts, um, it actually gets stuck on our legs. You know, we've probably all had some kind of an experience like that. And to think that all of this happened by random chance, which is what you have to believe if you're going to be a consistent evolutionist. It's a random chance that happened when all the correct chemicals just happened to be in the right place and just happened to be at the right time. 
when lightning struck, remember I mentioned this in the first uh, episode, lightning striking amino acids on the back of crystals. And somehow we get what you see today. And that's science. That doesn't take any faith. That's science. What I'm talking about here, that there actually was a creator and he created things and they are continuing today the way that he originally created them to be, that's crazy. I'm the one who's nuts. Not lightning striking the backs of crystals where amino acids were. That's not crazy. I'm crazy. You can tell I get a little passionate about the book of Genesis. And the reason I have such a passion about this subject is because, dear Christian, you need to understand this. And we will develop this as we move through the book of Genesis. If Genesis is not correct, if Genesis is not correct, you have no Bible. You need to let that sink in and you need to think about it. Why am I saying that? Because... The Son of Man was going to come. The Son of Man, Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. As I said, the eternal Son who took on human flesh, he was going to come. Well, if Adam isn't real, if Adam wasn't created the way that God created him, the way it's recorded in Scripture, then the whole foundation for a coming Savior begins to fall apart. Because as I've already mentioned, We get to Seth, who is Adam's son, and it's from the line of Seth that the Messiah eventually comes. And if Genesis is not correct, then Abraham is not correct. Isaac, Jacob, that can't be correct. The beginning of the nation of Israel, which was the chosen nation where the Messiah would come from, that can't be correct. Why? Because that's all in Genesis. So if you try to marry evolution and Genesis together, you're going to end up with some issues when it comes to the gospel message, which is really what I'm all about. I'm all about preaching and teaching the forgiveness of sinners, the forgiveness that Christ purchased on the cross when he obeyed the will of the Father. So, Let's get on to verse 14. I'll try to stay on target. Consider the light holders of verse 14. Notice that God made the sun and the moon. And then it says, almost like an afterthought, it says, oh, and he made the stars also. Now, that's my literary freedom there a little bit. But I just want you to think about it. As if making the sun and the moon and the earth And all the creatures, if that's not big enough to blow your mind, think about this. He made the stars also. And I'm fascinated by the stars. And as we look further and further into space, we see things that we thought were stars. It turns out they're actually entire galaxies out there. Galaxies that look like a little speck of light from here. But as we see them... Uh, through the Hubble telescope and and we we began to just I remember one time uh, my son came running home one night from an astronomy class that he had been taking and he we had a really cheap telescope and he said dad I got to show you something and he runs out in the backyard sets up the telescope and he's looking at this spot in the sky and with the naked eye it looks like a star 
but of course it was a nebula. So he gets it into focus in the telescope, and I'm looking at it, and within that nebula, you can see through through what looks like gas clouds, all these other specks, which are what other stars out there. But yet, from my viewpoint with the naked eye, it's just a speck. I mean, try to get your mind, you, you can't, at least I can't, get your mind around that. A God that is so massive in his creation. And then the Bible says, oh, he made the stars also. To me, it's just, it, it just blows my mind. So moving on to day five, we see God creates all life in the sea. And again, we see God's creative power and his, his design. And, you know, I mentioned uh, verse 26 through 28 at the very beginning of this episode. And I just want to circle back to that just for a few more comments. Because I want to talk about the character of God and what it means to be created in his image. So you see all of this creative power, all of this creative design, all of this variation in the sea creatures and the sea life and the birds of the air. But then he says with man, I'm going to make man in my image. What does that mean to be in his image? You know, God is the self-determined being. He is the self-determined being. And man shares in this, in some small way, this particular attribute with God. This is what it means to be created in his image. You've got choices. I've got choices. It's only when we are born again that we finally shake off that sinful bondage um, of our will. Um, Our will is bound to sin. But when we are born again, you see, now we have the freedom to choose to serve him, and we now have the freedom to will, as it says in the 1689 London Baptist Confession, the the freedom to will to serve him and to the will to do good. And so to be in his image, we have somewhat, like I said, this idea of being self-determined. You know, I look at the phrase that was popular when I was young, when I was little. I think about the Jesus movement of the late 1960s and the early 1970s. You know, the Jesus freaks, the original Jesus freaks. One of their sayings was, God is love. I remember somebody saying that to me, and uh, I was just a child, and I don't even remember where I heard it, but I thought, man, that doesn't even make any sense. God is love? God is love? Okay. Um, I don't understand, but okay. Well, of course, now as an adult, I look back on that and really and truly, God is love. It's been said of God that his chief emotional characteristic is love. I don't know that I agree with that, but I can certainly see how people arrive at that conclusion. He made us to feel love and to know love. And love is a concept that exists outside of myself. It exists outside of you and me. And the naturalistic approach does not explain true love. I'm not talking about impulses and urges that are acted out through physical touch and sexuality and things like that. I'm talking about genuine 
real love. The naturalistic approach has nothing to explain the concept of love. But yet, if you look at the fact that you were created in the image of God, you can see how our ability to love is indeed because God loved us first. And I'm going to tell you, if you're listening to this podcast and you don't know Christ, you might think that you know what love is. But I'm just going to tell you, there's no possible way you can know what love is because you don't know the one who created love. You don't know the one who is love. And don't be confused as I kind of emphasize God's love here. Um, you know, the angels who sing God's praises, they don't stand around the throne and proclaim love, love, love. Um, they proclaim holy, holy, holy. So God is holy. God is holy. However, he is also a God of love. So I would add to this also that we don't know what God looks like. And we're not meant to know what he looks like. You know, he has commanded that no image is to be made of him uh, or any other thing for the purpose of worship. In other words, no idols. And I've talked about this um, in previous podcasts as well. We know that God speaks and that God hears and that God sees, but it doesn't necessarily mean that he has a physical mouth and ears and eyes like we do. We have these physical attributes so that we share in his image of speaking and hearing and seeing. So it is foolish of us to try to make an image of God that has a mouth and eyes and ears. When we say that God speaks or hears or sees, we are attempting to explain him in human terms. So while we share in his image, God desires to remain formless in our minds and he commands that he alone is to be worshiped and that no image is to be made of him. Don't even try to make something that looks like him because there isn't anything that looks like him. And this brings me to pictures of Jesus that we've all seen. You know, they're probably inaccurate. They're probably not even accurate at all. But I'm quite sure that Jesus didn't look like Fabio I'm quite sure that he was not of German descent. I don't think he had blonde hair and blue eyes. <laughs> and I'm kind of being a little sarcastic and facetious here, but we all know that famous picture of Jesus when we see it, right? And there are certainly similar features in all those paintings. But again, I just would point you to uh, the fact that these are the imaginations of men. So how... Will I know him? How will I recognize him? I believe that I will know him by his scars. And these are scars that he bears in his body because of his obedience to the Father. And we will see as we continue in our study that God placed man over all the created things. And we haven't gotten there yet, but we will get there as we continue on. You know, as we come to the end of this first chapter, I want you to notice a couple of things. God gave fruits and vegetables to be eaten by all the creatures. I don't know if you noticed that when we read through the verses. There was no death in the beginning. And eventually we're going to read that 
the garden, the garden of Eden is where uh, God placed man. There's no death in the garden. There were no meat eaters. In the beginning, things were vastly different than the world we see around us today. I want you to imagine, if you can, a world with no death, no decay. Imagine a world that is somewhat like a greenhouse, like I kind of described in the very first episode, where nothing dies. Try, as we continue to move through the book of Genesis, try to imagine an ancient world that did not necessarily function the way that we see things functioning today. And I'm going to close this out with a final uh, James opinion. Here's a J.O. for you. See, I believe that the world of the ancients was vastly different than the world of today. I believe that there is evidence for such a claim. I have been around the world. I have been very blessed to have traveled to some amazing places. I've seen the Pyramid of Giza. I've personally seen Stonehenge. I have uh, seen pyramids and other structures in Central and South America. I've stood on the Great Wall of China. Um, when I lived in Arizona, I went to what's called the Casa Grande, or the large house there in Arizona. And the, these are massive structures that are built the world over. And I don't care what you've seen on Ancient Aliens and other programs on the Discovery Channel. Uh, these structures were placed here by men. They were not placed here by aliens. And I personally believe that so-called modern man has lost knowledge. I believe that most of it was lost, at least for Western culture, during the times of the Dark Ages. And I believe that other civilizations, the Aztec, the Maya... Uh, other civilizations were brought down through uh, wars, invasions, true pandemics, not made up pandemics where 97% of the people plus uh, recover. That's not a pandemic, but a real pandemic would come in and wipe out entire cultures. And that often these things were brought on as judgments from the living God against rebellious nations that were participating in human sacrifice, and all the rest. And I bring this concept to your attention because I want you to open your mind to the possibility, again, as we go through Genesis, that things were not always the same uniformly as we go back through time. Certainly, some things are never going to change. But nature, knowledge, calendars, customs, um, societal norms... They have not remained constant over time. And I'm not opening the door here for evolutionary thought. I'm saying that just because we have a notion in our brain of how things should have been in ancient times, it does not make it so. So when we read something in scripture that seems foreign to our way of thinking, we should remember that it's our way of thinking that is wrong. It's not the scripture. So with that, and as I often say, I hope this episode has been a blessing to you. I hope it challenges you as you continue to grow in Christ.
Thank you again for listening to James Reed's Forge podcast. And don't forget to leave a review with comments. Let me hear from you. Leave a voice message through the link. I hope and pray that you find ways to apply the truths of God's word in daily living. Remember, dear Christian, you are forgiven. It is by grace that you have been saved through faith. May you grow in Christ in the study of the Bible and truly overcome the wounds caused by sinful choices and actions of the past. I also pray that you are always reforming, seeking to glorify God in all that you say and do. Remember to be grateful to God for what he is working out, not only in you, but in his creation as well. And lastly, be encouraged, encouraged to serve God and others as you grow in him.